was glad to spend the day with us here on this uh, Sunday evening during what has to be one of the most beautiful weeks that we've had in a while. Uh, the weather's been amazing every single day, and so I think that's just the only afternoon we did have. So I hope you've enjoyed it and enjoy the next couple days of it as well. You may have noticed the videographer here this evening. Um, if you are a visitor, you might think, man, that, why do they have this guy in here? We are updating our website, and so it's simply to get some, some shots that we can put um, on the website this evening. So don't let that distract you. Um, and who knows, maybe you'll see your uh, face show up there uh, worshiping with us here at Sojourn. Uh, for the last several weeks, we've been in our series where we're studying the book of Nehemiah, which we have titled the series for the city. And we've continued to ask ourselves this question. What does it look like for the people of God to exist for the city where they live? In our case, the city of Portland. We're nearing the halfway point of the series, and perhaps one of the most challenging parts for you might be of seeing how is this book actually relevant to my life. I mean, if we take a step back and think about it for a minute. We are studying the life of a guy who lived 2,500 years ago. He grew up in the Middle East. He left his job as a slave to oversee a major architectural project of the rebuilding of a city. Now, does that sound like any of your stories? My guess is that it doesn't sound like any of your stories. But my hope is that we spent this last month and a half in the book of Nehemiah that you've seen how relevant this story actually is to your life and to our city and to our church. The last couple of weeks, we've seen the opposition both externally and internally to the work being done here, and it only continues tonight. But this time, what we're going to see as we've, we've seen the external opposition, we've seen some, some internal opposition, and now we're going to see personal attacks actually come directly at Nehemiah. Now, if you're here tonight and you've had a bad week, you guys ever have those where you're going, I don't, don't even know if I want to go. I'll be transparent. There's weeks that I've had a bad week and say, I man, I don't know if I want to go, but we're glad that you're here, and this chapter tonight is for you. And so Nehemiah, what we're going to see is he encounters many trials and challenges during this project, and we've kind of seen that these last several weeks. But by the grace of God, he's able to persevere and continue on the mission that has been given to him. And perhaps you've been there. Maybe you're there now. Maybe, maybe you're down as we speak this evening. Maybe you don't show it. Maybe you still have a smiling face because we tend to do that sometimes when we come into a, an environment like this. But maybe inside you're just feeling down. Maybe you're feeling depressed. Maybe you've faced another setback in life. Maybe your post-college life hasn't worked out exactly how you had planned. You were so confident in, in what it was you were called to do, but now it just seems like maybe you got things wrong. Maybe you heard the voice of God wrong, so things just aren't going exactly the way that you had wanted it to go. And so the longer you go and the further you are removed from when you kind of look back in that event in your life, you start questioning God. and start questioning, did I actually hear God right? I faced, it seems like, all this turmoil, all these challenges and trials as a result of doing what I thought God wanted me to do. Maybe you feel like God has abandoned you in the midst of your calling and your work tell you what, if I was Nehemiah, I would definitely be feeling that at some point. It's easy for us just to read back through the story, but opposition week in and week out from those outside of the group, those inside the group, and now personally against him. If you've ever been there, you, you have to you start questioning, going, maybe I heard wrong, or God, are you against me in this? I'm for the city, but maybe, maybe, maybe you're not for me. And so you kind of start to process this. This reminds me of what Eugene Peterson talks about in his excellent book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Maybe I'll add this book to our, our shared library. If you didn't know, we now have a shared library here at Sojourn. It's on our Connect table. We'll eventually get some kind of box for it. And so it's a spot you can bring a book that you say, man, this is a really good book that we recommend you read. I put a few out there myself. Maybe I'll add that one to it. But in, in his book, he kind of talks about that same idea, that there's a long obedience in the same direction. All through the trials and through the challenges, 
but you continue to go and stay faithful to the task that God has called you to do. Think about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a reformer and a restorer. And when we study history and we look at most leaders that were reformers, we learn they typically faced opposition. Can you think of any leader who really um, changed, changed his environment, changed the world around him that didn't face opposition? We don't really read and study ones that it was just a cakewalk for them. So even in the midst of the good that they're doing, there's some kind of opposition, some kind of trial that they will face. We're a couple of weeks away from October 31st, which many in our culture, probably most in our city, celebrate as Halloween. But this is also the day that celebrates over 500 years ago when a guy named Martin Luther, a monk, discovered the gospel of grace. He nailed his 95 theses to the castle church door in Wittenberg in protest to the church's message and their ministries, which changed the church and the world in many ways. Now, as I was studying a little bit for this week, what many people don't realize is that Martin Luther King Jr.'s name is actually uh, from Martin Luther. It was, his name was later changed to be Martin Luther. And so both of these men would be described as reformers, restorers, and clearly leaders. One led a theological revolution, while the other led a social revolution. I would argue that both were needed, and both were needed in the time that they led them. Both men are considered heroes, and both men faced fierce opposition. As we know, Martin Luther King Jr. would go on to be assassinated. Martin Luther wasn't assassinated, but he was wanted for much of the remainder of his life. His famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress, poetically and powerfully describes the reality of spiritual warfare that he was facing the presence of the enemies around him, but also the faithfulness of God and his unstoppable purposes. And so as we've been studying Nehemiah, Nehemiah is also a reformer of his day. And now we're going to see him face opposition again for a third week in a row. If you haven't been with us, or even if you were with us, let me refresh our memory. Nehemiah chapter 4, so just a couple weeks ago, we saw there was the external opposition through threats and ridicule. And Nehemiah, he deals with it through prayer and practical security measures. And so we continue to see this theme that Nehemiah, as he faces opposition, he faces spiritual warfare, he continues to go to the Lord in prayer. And so he models that for us. And they get through that. And then they move into what we know as chapter 5. And then all of a sudden, internal opposition comes. And Nehemiah deals with it by addressing the matters directly. He doesn't shy away from those. He goes straight to the point. He does it publicly. He does it biblically. And he does it by setting a proper example for us. And we talked about how even as a faith community, when times get tough, and when the enemies kind of spread some seeds that we need to be willing to, to challenge one another, face one another, but in a, a biblically uh, grace-filled way so we can move past that. And then tonight what we're going to see is opposition, opposition directed at Nehemiah personally. So he's going to receive some personal attacks. If you're in here, and I know uh, most of you or many of you, and I know that, that you have a holy ambition, that many of us in this room, we want to attempt to do something great for the good of the people and for the glory of God, especially for the good of the city where God has called us. And so I'd say that you too can expect opposition. If you haven't already experienced it, then trust me that you will. This, this may not be a group that you want to sign up with, and not the sojourn, but the church in general, because the people of God are always going to face opposition on this side of heaven. And so what I want us to do is I want us to spend our time tonight looking at the perseverance in the midst of opposition. Specifically, I want us to look at three types of perseverance that we can gather from this chapter. The first is perseverance number one, which is perseverance through overt opposition. And we're going to look at, at chapter six, and we're going to start out by looking at the first nine verses. So if you have your copy of scripture, go ahead and turn there, Nehemiah chapter six, and we're going to be looking at the first nine verses, and we'll go all the way through uh, the end of the chapter. And if you don't have your copy of scripture, the word's going to be right here next to me. So first, first perseverance is perseverance through overt opposition. It says, now when Sambala and Tobiah and Geshem and Arab, the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, 
although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hecarphrim, the plain of Anno. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? So let's stop right there. And so what we see is that the wall at this point, all the buildup, the last several weeks we've been looking at, the wall is almost complete. And now we see Samballat, Tobiah, and Geshem enter the scene. Now, if you remember these guys from a couple weeks ago, these are these will be known as the bad guys. So if you're looking at a Western film here, the guys come wearing all black, which I happen to partially be wearing and Joseph was wearing tonight. But uh, here come the bad guys entering into the scene of the Western movie. And these guys have been nothing but a pain in the butt to Nehemiah. They have been against the work and just trying to get him to throw in the towel and to give up week in and week out. They have done whatever they can to distract him and to sideline the work that God has called him to do. But it appears, at least initially here, it appears they're singing a different tune because they want to get together with Nehemiah. So it, it sounds like, well, maybe they've had a change of heart. Let's give them the benefit of a doubt. Maybe you've been there and you've had some conflict with someone. You say, man, let's give them the benefit of a doubt. Sounds like they've got a change of heart. They want to meet over coffee and, and get together and set aside our differences. And so then we see the response of Nehemiah, which kind of can seem a little arrogant at first because Nehemiah, he, he responds to them. He says, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. So they're requesting his presence. Hey, let's get together. Let's work out our differences. And Nehemiah says, sorry, I'm up here working and I cannot come down. I've got something that's more important than you. And he's wise and he discerns that what his enemies are trying to do is they're trying to trick him. They're thinking, well, if we can get him to come down, then we know that we've got him. We can trip him up. And Nehemiah will not divert any time and effort from the work of the Lord that he had been given because he know that it will be fruitless. He's got what we call discernment. This is a spiritual gift that I pray for frequently. Lord, I pray for wisdom and discernment probably daily. Lord, give me wisdom in this situation. Give me wisdom with this individual. Give me discernment. Where is it that you are leading me? Where is it you're leading my family? Where is it you're leading our church to go? And so Nehemiah is a great example of having discernment. James Hamilton Jr., he says, what work are you doing? Would you describe it as a great work? If you're doing what God has called you to do in the task of making disciples, you are not doing things that the world thinks is a great significance. You're not even doing something that can be measured like building walls, but God's name is at stake in your life now, just as it was, it was at stake in what Nehemiah was doing. And so think about your own work. Would you say the work that you've been called to? Regardless of what that is, maybe, maybe you're a barista, Maybe you work at a bank, maybe you're a school teacher, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, and this is what God has called you to do in your work right now, but you're still called to make disciples. And so would you say, man, this work that I'm called to is a, is a great work, regardless of my vocation and regardless of, of where my paycheck comes from? Or maybe you've sacrificially given up some of those careers to do something different. Maybe you're, you're involved with the ministry, and you say, man, I'm giving away time, and I'm volunteering this time, and the world's going, well, that's not going to help you. That's not going to get you ahead. You're not going to climb the corporate ladder by, by doing those things but saying, this is the work that God has called me to. And so I'm willing to, to not come down and not get distracted with other things. And so we see two characteristics of leadership that are particularly noticeable there. The first is a leader must know how to say no. I'll be honest, that's a really difficult one for me because I like to say yes. And I like to say yes to a lot of things. And if before I know it, I get overwhelmed. You just look at my calendar, and it starts out empty, and then all of a sudden I look, and there's all these things on my calendar, and most of those are really good things, but sometimes they're not great things, and sometimes it's not where I should be spending my time because I like to say, yes, yeah, so I'm trying to learn how to say no like Nehemiah. And then we see Nehemiah just has practical wisdom and discerning what it is that's actually going on in this scenario. Pick back up in verse 4. 
It says, and they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. So we see that Nehemiah, he's able to stay focused, even though they're, they're coming to him continually. It wasn't just a one-time request. Four times they sent for Nehemiah to join them at this meeting, and my guess is that every time they made it more attractive. If you've, you've got that friend who comes to you and uh, you've got something you've really got to work on, maybe it's a work project or a home project, and they say, come on, we're going to go out and we're going to do this. And you're like, no, I can't go. And then they call you again, come on, come on, and they start begging, and they just make it more attractive every single time. Hey, I'll buy you dinner if you join us, or, or I'll pay for your movie ticket, or I'll do these things. And so my guess is every time they're making it more attractive to Nehemiah. And the area where they were talking about going as a study, it, it was considered a lush area. It was an area that you would go away and retreat. It was a nice break from the city and all its brokenness and challenges. So I'm sure they're pointing those things out, like, like come on, this is going to be a retreat for us. You're going to relax. There's a spa here. You don't have to be up on that wall doing that. I mean, it, your back is, I mean, it's sore. Come on, get a massage and, and enjoy this time. Sit in the soaking pool and just relax a little bit. That must have been really, really tempting. If I'm Nehemiah, I'm like, okay, man, I've been facing all this opposition, and these guys were part of the opposition, but now they're coming and saying they're going to pay for like a retreat away. And for the, for, this is not the kind of retreat we're going on, by the way. Um, but I'm paying for this retreat away, and it's a lush and nice area. Like, that'd be really tempting. But what we see is Nehemiah stays steadfast to what he said back in verse 3. He says, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. And so my, my question for you is, do you have the same resolve as Nehemiah? For many of you, you're in the room tonight because you sensed a calling to the city of Portland, and I want, you to give, I want to give you the permission, just like Nehemiah, to say no to whatever gets in the way of that calling. What are you going to do when opportunities come along to distract you from that calling? So I want you to go there with me for a minute. Now, you might say, I'm a native. Well, you were still called the city of Portland. It just looks different than how I was called to the city of Portland. But I know we have a lot of transplants in the room. And so at some point, God called you here. And so I want you to go back to that place, wherever it may have been, and think, what am I going to do when opportunities come along to distract me from that calling? And the reality is that most of us in the room will not have to wrestle through bad opportunities and good opportunities. Most of us are going to have to wrestle through good opportunities and great opportunities. And some of you are trying to maybe even figure out, what does it mean to be a meaningful part of a church for the very first time? Or a church plant? And what does it really mean to, to kind of get my hands dirty and to roll up my sleeves? Like, what does it mean to get dirty and to help this work that God has called us to do in this city? Some of you moved here with aspirations to be a missionary to the city of Portland. You say, I'm moving to the city of Portland. I want to leave my mark on this city, to, to the city where God has called you. But what happens in a few years when, when you're married, if you're single, or maybe you are married, and all of a sudden kids come along? And suddenly you can't bear the thought of raising your kids apart from your family. And if you're not that way, then the grandparents surely will be. The grandparents will be like, hey, I know you, I know you moved to help do this, and I know you felt this calling, but... That was like a three-year thing, right? Like now that the babies are coming along, surely you're not going to raise them more than 15 minutes from, from grandma and grandpa. Maybe others in this room are struggling with fully committing to a church for the first time in your life. Maybe your circle of friends are making this incredibly difficult because they don't have a framework for what it looks like to be at a church gathering on a Sunday night or to be part of a gospel community on a Thursday night or to being part of a table for discipleship. So you have to choose between being available whenever they text you. And I'm not saying don't be available for your friends. Hopefully you can track with me here. Being available for whenever they text you and being committed to being with your faith family when they gather. I've watched so many Christians move into this city, personal friends, to help plant churches only to get distracted by the culture around us and lose sight of the work that God had called them to. And then eventually they say, I'm a little bit too busy. I've got some things going on. And eventually they want nothing to do with church. And some of them want nothing to do with Christianity at all. And it breaks my heart every single time. But we live in a city and an environment 
that that is going to be the norm, and that is going to be much, much easier than pressing into the thing that God has called you to do. Chuck Swindoll, he says, one of the marks of maturity is the ability to say no without explanation. So if you guys hear me say no, and I just walk away, don't think I'm being rude, I'm just listening to Chuck Swindoll. But as your pastor, I want to give you the permission to say no. To say no, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I am being a missionary to the city of Portland, I cannot come down. I am loving and prioritizing my spouse, I cannot come down. I am committing to the mission of Sojourn Church, I cannot come down. I am doing a great work, I cannot come down. I want to give you the permission to press into that, to have the resolve that Nehemiah had to stay on task to what God has called you and called us to do. Pick back up in verse 5. It says, in the same way, Samballot for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up the prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking, Their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. This is what we describe when things go from bad to worse. When you're in a situation, when you're in a scenario, and you're thinking, There's no way it any worse, and all of a sudden it does. And so we see that Nehemiah initially declines to get together with them four different times. But this is the fifth time, and they send an open letter, which may not sound like a big deal to us, but an open letter was designed so that people would learn about it. So imagine for us like a blog post that goes viral, but everyone can read it. Or imagine in our neighborhood, all of a sudden there's something written negatively about Sojourn on the front page of our Concordia newspaper, and it's just slandering us and spreading lies and saying that we're doing all kinds of witchcraft and like random, really weird stuff in here. Now, some of the things we do might be weird, but not the things that they're talking about and trying to take us down. And so that would be equivalent to that. So they're saying, look, Nehemiah, now what are you going to do? Now it's out here for everyone to see that you're not the dude that we all thought that you were and the dude that you portray to be. And so it's written in a way to smear his name and is filled with accusations that Nehemiah is rebelling against the king that he is trying to take over. They're trying to say, look, Nehemiah, he's actually the one that's trying to take over. That's why he's building this wall. And here it is on the front page of the Sunday paper. But Nehemiah flatly denies the accusations and he continues his work. So he, he denies them, but he, he doesn't like, it doesn't seem like he gets down. He just continues on what it is he is doing. And he knows he cannot allow the work to be prevented by the enemy's schemes. So he, he, he can see it from a mile away and say, man, they tried this, and now they're trying this, but I'm continuing on because it's not true, and I'm going to remain faithful what God has called me to do and trust that the Lord's got this. And he knows he has the favor of the king because God has secured it for him previously, and he knows he must respond through seeking the Lord in prayer again. So once again, he goes to the Lord in prayer, and he just says, God, I need you in this situation, and God, I need you to work. Maybe you've been there before where you, you, you just can't do anything at all, and you say, God, I've got, I've got to hand this over to you. And so we see Nehemiah hands it over to God, seeks him in prayer another time, and he continues on with what God has called him to do. Now, the second type of perseverance that I want us to look at is perseverance through covert opposition, and we're going to pick up in verses 10 through 14. He says, now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, to such a man as I run away, and what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. 
And I understood and saw that God had not seen him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way in sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember, Tobiah and Sambalat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. And so we see this character, Shemaiah, who's otherwise really unknown, some would say maybe possibly a priest of sorts, proposes that Nehemiah put down his, his own work, or put his safety ahead of his own work, and break God's law in order to save his own life. But what Shemaiah doesn't realize is that Nehemiah's greatest fear, it's not death. His greatest fear is offending the Lord. And so my question is, that, is that true of your life? Can you say that your greatest fear is maybe, maybe you're not facing death, but maybe failure? Is your greatest fear not, not failure, but is it offending the Lord in his name and what it is he's called you to do? That's something I've had to wrestle through in my, in my own heart, my own life, and what God has called me to do. And saying, God, I want to stay faithful and obedient to the calling that you have placed in front of me and the calling that you have placed in front of sojourn. And so Nehemiah knows he has work to do, and the work is almost finished, and he's not a priest. And so it would be a sin for him to actually go into the temple. And so they're thinking, well, here's another way we can tri tri trick him, right? It sounds good. Like, hey, let's go to the temple. You're a guy who likes to pray. I've seen that you like to pray. Why don't we go into the temple and do this new pray in there? And Nehemiah's like, no, I, I can't do that. that. That is not the custom of how I'm supposed to do it, and I will be killed for doing that. And they think, well, maybe this will scare him, and it'll trick him into doing this as well. And so we see Shemaiah comes in with this covert opposition because he's pretending to speak with a level of prophetic authority, but Nehemiah is quickly able to recognize it as false. Once again, he has this discernment about him that, that many people don't have in their lives. And we see an attempt by his enemies to taunt him and to undermine his authority. And we see that Nehemiah, he's not just building these walls because these walls are good. He's building these walls because this is God's city, and he wants to take care and protect the city of God. And Nehemiah, once again, seeks God in prayer by calling on him to remember those who had tried to turn on him. Now, this is not just to remember in a, in a, in a vengeful way. Sometimes Nehemiah's prayer is like, God, you, you, you take justice. And some of us might say, that sounds wrong. Like, should we pray that, that God would like, do something to this individual who I, I had this conflict with? But it is, it is more of a way in saying, God can handle it, whether it's blessing or judgment. And God, I want to give this over to you. And so there's wisdom in that, saying it's not my job to go and seek the justice, but God will take care of it. And so giving it over to God and, and putting it in his hands. And then our third and final type of perseverance is perseverance through the project with people. And we see that in verses 15 through 19. Look at these last few verses with me. It says, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, Elu, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came, in, came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law, Shechaniah, the son of Era, and his sons, Jehonan, had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. And they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. And so we see that it's been less than six months since Nehemiah spoke to the king. And people are really remarking at the speed of which the wall has been rebuilt. And it instilled fear into his enemies. So you think about just previously, they were saying, God, you take care of it. There's some justice needs to happen here. And then we kind of look a couple of verses later. And all of a sudden, the enemies are the ones that are getting fearful because of how fast this work had actually happened. And the people perceived the work had been accomplished with the help of their God. The people recognized 
It's like their eyes were suddenly open going, that wasn't just Nehemiah, and it wasn't just the people he was able to get on that. Like, that was a work of, of God, the God that they worshipped. And the thought was, if God had helped the people of Judah so remarkably in this way, the nations feared that this same God would turn to Judah into a powerful nation that would be a threat to them. And so they were only able to accomplish this work because of abiding in God and God aiding them all along the way. And so they wanted to attribute the work to the Lord. In other words, it wasn't something that this Nehemiah had done in just their, their group of individuals. That's what I want for our city. As Sojourn continues to grow, as Sojourn continues to get further rooted into our community, we build the, the trust. I want them to look to the name of Jesus. I don't ever want it to be my name or anyone's name in the room. I don't say, well, that was, you know, that was this person. Like, I want us, as we see this thing grow and say, man, we're going to join Jesus in building his church and actually mean it that we can take a step back and when we, man, look at Northeast Portland where they say it's one of the hardest areas in the city to plant a church and look, look, how did that happen that we can say, it was God and we just sought the Lord and the Lord did it. J.I. Packer sums up this section this way. He says, now God, God now acted in a way that puts his own human agents in the shade. To use the biblical word, he visited his people, preempting their attention and making his presence felt among them in a way that had not been the case before. Moments of that kind, when minds and hearts are inundated and overwhelmed by the reality of God and his holiness and grace, belong to the history of, the, of most movements of spiritual advance and the days and weeks together of this experience more, therefore, than just the isolated moments, belong to the history of those supreme visitations we call revivals. And so that is what we seek, that God would move us out of the way, that there would be this kind of this, we move back into the, the shade or to the shadows, and, and God is the one who's out on display and shining and what it is that he's doing here in our city. And this is why, yes, we want to be for the city, but we also want to partner with other churches, like-minded Christ followers all over our city. I went to a, uh, an event this week with churches literally all over our metro by a group called City to City. And it's just talking about, man, we're part of different tribes and denominations and networks, but how is it that the people of God, the churches of God, the leaders of these churches can come together and see a movement of God happen here so that we can all move out of the way and let Jesus shine in our city? We see the complicity of the nobles of Judah with Tobiah now strongly emerges. So there's this alliance that merges here. And it's not clear in what way they were bound, but it was clearly a powerful kind of lobby in Jerusalem to Tobiah, and they were opposed to Nehemiah. So there's kind of this other kind of group over here. Some chatter starts to happen, and they're, they're starting to kind of build their, their group. You ever been there? You've been part of a, a group, and all of a sudden, like, some little cliques start to form, you know, and they're like, did you see what he did over there? And, you know, did you hear that? Well, I heard this part of it, and all of a sudden there's these groups. And so we kind of see that take place here towards the end of this chapter. It's like a, a whispering campaign among those opposed to Nehemiah, and seeds of mistrust were sown into their midst. And unfortunately, this led to a decline in Nehemiah's leadership and his call to a spiritual reliance on God's word. But here's the thing, as we get towards uh, wrapping up here. If you lead anything, you too will face opposition. You will face pressure, and you will face it constantly. This is something I'm learning every single day, every single week. We lived overseas, and I faced opposition, a lot of it. But it was a little bit different in nature than what I've faced since God had called us here and to, to plant a church. But you will face it constantly. So if you're a leader in some area of life, then you know exactly what this is like. You know exactly what it is I'm talking about. Maybe you run a business or a school or a home, or a church, you know the kind of pressure and sacrifice that it can bring with your time, your money. You bear the offense of others, that you're the one that kind of has to take all the, all the, all the blame. I appreciate, uh, I think it was Lola who was praying up here before and just talking about taking the, um, I don't know how she phrased it, but some of that burden and some of that weight. And I do feel that. I do take that seriously as your pastor and as your shepherd because I love you guys. I love this church and I love this city. 
Uh, but there are days that it can seem crushing. But I think this is even a reminder here, just as Nehemiah, to say, man, Jesus, I want to give this over to you. It seems crushing because I'm the one that's trying to carry it in that moment. But Jesus, I need to hand it over to you, so now it's not as crushing. Now I can kind of rest in your arms and let you take care of it as I continue on in the task it is that you have called me to be and called me to do. Warren Worsby reminds us, you will be criticized for not doing things you tried to do and for doing the things you didn't do. I'm going to say that one again. You'll be criticized for not doing the things you tried to do, amen, and for doing the things that you didn't do, amen. I quickly learned that in ministry. It is warfare, and we will be criticized for the things that we didn't do and the things that we did try to do. I guess that's just part of the business. I keep trying to change that side of it, but that just seems to be part of it, and we see that happening right here with Nehemiah. But then we think about Jesus' life and ministry. Was it easy? No, it wasn't easy. At every turn, Jesus was met with opposition. And the closer that he got to finishing his mission, the greater the opposition became, the greater his fears become, as he fell to the ground anticipating the horrors of Calvary. And so we see this with our Savior himself. Because Jesus, he endured and he triumphed, we too can endure our oppositions. Because he overcame, we can overcome our greatest fears. He can remove them in his strength. And that we can endure with all the fears the enemy wants to throw our way. Are, is the enemy going to throw things at us? Absolutely. Are you going to face opposition? Absolutely. Are you going to face trials? Absolutely. Are you going to have really hard days where you just want to give up? Absolutely. Are you going to have days you don't want to be part of your faith community? You say, I'm, just, I'm over these people because people are challenging and difficult. Yeah, you're going to have those days. But we can endure because of the example that Jesus has. And so that in Jesus, and it has to be in Jesus, it can't be in yourself, and it can't be in some method or something you read in a book, but in G other than the Bible, in Jesus, we are able to persevere in the midst of opposition, and it's in Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. And so I want us to reflect on that, I want us to bask in that, and I want us to continue in worship and respond to Jesus. We do this every single week, but it's always a good reminder for us to remember why it is we do these things. So I want us to respond and worship through song. And Joseph will come back up for us in a few minutes, and we'll sing some songs of praise to this Jesus and focus our attention on the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus and what Jesus did for us, for our church, and for our world. The second way of response is by giving. Some of us give, or have given tonight through time and, and talent. We showed up, and we hung up these nice lights, and and, and put up sound systems and chairs and made really good coffee. At least I think it's pretty good coffee. A friend of mine roasted it, so don't say that it's not. Uh, good coffee and good pastries. Then we also give a prayer. Maybe you need to pray a prayer of confession tonight. Maybe there's a prayer of repentance, something that's just going on inside of you. Or maybe you just need to pray and seek God on behalf of our city. Or maybe there's an individual that, that man, God's going to put them in your mind right now. And you pray for that coworker, pray for that neighbor, that they would see Jesus for who he really is. Then finally, we give generously of our financial resources as an act of worship. And so we have our, our, our offering box back here, and that's one place that, yes, we can give of our tithes and offerings. Some of us give online. And so we want to give for the mission to go forward so that we can exist for the city. And then you can also give a prayer over there as well if you want someone to be praying for you this week. And then our final way of response is through the celebration of communion. And so for us as a church, this is for those of us that are in Christ, that would say, I am a Christ follower this is a way that we can remember what the Lord has done and that we can believe it again and commit again to what Jesus did. And so for me, I really look at the, the table and the elements there as like a reset. 
Because if you're like me, you walk out of here on Sunday nights and you, sometimes you trip going down the steps and immediately you start this, this cycle of like, oh no, I fell back into this thing or oh no, I, I've already done this. And so you're able to reset it and remember what it is that Jesus has done for us and what it is he's called us to. And we get to do this collectively as a community. It tells us in Luke 22, verses 19 and 20, it says, He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And so maybe you're in here tonight, and you're, you're still not sure. Maybe you're, you're still exploring things. Or maybe... You have a church background. Maybe you grew up in church, but you're still, you're just kind of re-engaging. You're kind of checking things out again, and you decided, for whatever reason, you saw a sign in front of the stamp building. You thought, man, I'll, I'll come check this out. Whatever the case may be, you are welcome here, and you're welcome in this place. And so my challenge for you, and really for all of us, is to consider what Jesus did on your behalf. And like Nehemiah would tell you, Jesus is the only path to life, a life worth living. And that Jesus desires that you continually commit your life to him. And I believe that, that taking the act of communion and participating in that is a great way to show that trust that you have in Jesus. Maybe you don't fit either one of those categories. Maybe you're just not sure. Feel free just to sit and reflect on the words that we sing. Let the words that, that Joseph is singing to Jesus be kind of washed over you. And so let me pray for us. We will continue worshiping through our time of response. God, we want to come to you and thank you that even in the midst of opposition, even in the midst of personal attacks, that in Jesus we can persevere. God, we see Nehemiah models wisdom and discernment, things that he could have easily gotten distracted from the calling that you had put on his life, some things that seemed really good. But God, that he stayed committed to the task that you had called him to. He said, I cannot come down. I have work to do. God, I pray that every single one of us, regardless if we moved here six months ago, if we've lived here our whole lives, would realize you've called us here right now at this time in history for a reason. God, that every single one of us that are in you would see ourselves as a missionary. And God, we remember the calling that you put on our lives why it is that 